Welcome to the Elevating Funeral Service podcast. If you want to run a successful funeral home, cemetery, or pet cremation service, you don't have to be the one that has the lowest price. You do need to be the one that offers the most value, provides the best customer experience, and clearly communicates that in your marketing. On this weekly podcast, Ellery and Welton will show easy ways to demonstrate value to families and create differentiation that helps you stand out from the competition. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Elevating Funeral Service podcast. I'm your host, Ellery Bowker. I'm with my good friend and co-host, Welton Hong. We have two special guests with us today. We have Ryan Leto, who is the CEO of DNA Memorial, and we have Michael Davis, who's the Director of Corporate Sales for DNA Memorial. This is a topic that Welton and I have talked about a little bit. We thought it might be interesting to bring these two gentlemen on to talk about DNA and funeral homes and what some of the um, things surrounding that topic are, meaning what opportunities are there if you offer DNA preservation to your families, you know, what service you provide, um, that sort of thing there. So guys, welcome. We appreciate you coming on to share a little bit of your story with us and then kind of how, you know, how DNA can sort of impact how the funeral homes are serving their families. So um, maybe Ryan, why don't we start with you and kind of tell us who you are and how you got in this business and, and then uh, we'll kick it over to you, Michael. Sure. Okay. My name is Ryan Lato. I'm actually uh, the head scientist here. I'm not just the CEO, but I actually developed the technology for storing DNA at room temperature. I used to run a lab at the Lakehead DNA, uh, Lakehead Paleo DNA Laboratory at the university here. And we used to try to get DNA from mummies and dinosaurs and uh, ancient materials, stuff like that. What we noticed is that DNA didn't have to be frozen to be preserved. It just had to be protected from air and water and some kind of reinforcement. So we came up with this idea to store DNA. And then we came up with a proprietary process and filed a patent and stuff. But what we realized is most people don't want to store their DNA when they're alive because they can just go do it again tomorrow or there's no real value, much like a fingerprint, right? So that's how we ended up in the funeral space, actually, because that's the very last spot to get the DNA. Then it's gone forever, right? So that's how... I kind of evolved into the funeral business from the, from the university academia. And then Michael's come along to help with the sales. Yeah, I've, uh, I've came along to help with the sales. I'm not one of the scientists here, but I do have a vast uh, sales background in various industries. I do have a personal connection to genetics though. And I've uh, found genetic testing and stuff like that has been a very key role in my family's life and in my children's life. It's been uh a big part of how we've been able to tackle our medical um, diagnosis that we do have with osteogenesis imperfect. And it's been able to lead us to better treatments plans. And for them, it's treatment plans that are done when they're much younger than myself when I got mine started. Interesting. Fascinating. So let's just kind of jump right into the thick of it. Why? So the funeral homes meeting with the family, they bring up the topic of, hey, do you want us to preserve your loved one's DNA? What's the value proposition for the family? Well, for the family, that, that DNA holds so much information. Um, people usually go to the funeral home, you know, to try and get a better connection to the loved one, to find a little bit more about them, and then to be able to honor them. Um, through the DNA services, you can find out a lot about somebody, whether or not it's their ancestral heritage, where they came from, who they are, or their genetic makeup. Uh, the genetic makeup has indications of any risks for serious diseases or any medical complications. And that same risk could have been passed on hereditary to the descendants. So as important as this information is with the deceased, when you begin to reflect that with the remaining descendants, they can utilize this information to protect themselves, to put themselves back into the driver's seat of their own health care. 
I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story, though. So it's a true story. There was a girl, um, she was about 40 years old. She developed breast cancer. And she actually had her grandmother's and her mother's DNA preserved already. So they were able to go look back and they were able to actually measure the mutations across the generations. And they predicted that her daughter was going to get breast cancer. Mm-hmm. So, so they started thinking, okay, well, she's going to probably develop it earlier because she has more mutations. And she actually ended up developing in just late 20s. And she was able, to, they were watching for it. So she was able to treat it as soon as it appeared. And she didn't have to go through mastectomies or chemotherapy or anything because they were able to catch it just right at the, the point of, you know, emergence. So that was powerful. That's a great story. I mean, it's, it's uh, incredibly useful. So when the, when the funeral home is offering this to the family, is it just strictly preservation? So we're going to capture this DNA, give it to you, you do what you want with it, or are there ancillary services that are being sold with that? So in other words, if my father passes away and the funeral home preserves that DNA for me, what am I doing with it? So there's two avenues here. So there's the preservation. So a lot of people are upset and they just sometimes are a little overwhelmed. So we say just preserve the DNA because DNA degrades slowly over time, right? So you can't just take it and hold on to it and then expect to get a good sample later. So it slowly degrades. Cut hair again is not a good uh, method for DNA. You need to have the root attached. But anyway, so you need, we tell them just preserve, mostly preserve the DNA and just have it there. And then once, you know, you're looking to answer those questions, then come back six months, a year later, and then we can, we can answer those questions. But there's also the medical testing that we provide. Again, looking at those generational mutations, uh, we can tell you, you know, your father was predisposed to cancer. You're at a higher risk. And so some people might go to someone like 23andMe and say, you've got a 17% chance of lung cancer. Well, if your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather all had the gene but never got lung cancer, well, your real risk is a lot lower than that. But then again, if you have the gene and your father and grandfather didn't, maybe your risk is a lot higher than that, right? So it gives you that family perspective on your medical history. And also with the living DNA is our partner for the ancestry. Um, before this, you couldn't get ancestry testing on postmortem people. You know, ancestry.com, 23andMe, all those places won't accept postmortem DNA. But we have a a partnership with a company called Living DNA. If we um, clean it, process it, preserve it first, then you get a similar service to Ancestry.com. Uh, you're able to download your data, upload it to Ancestry.com, match. What most people don't understand is um, you don't, you're not 25% of each of your grandparents. You're 50% from your mom, 50% from your dad, but the grandparent could be 5%, 20. You know, so it's not an equal distribution. So your ancestry or even your medical stuff can be far different from your grandparent, or it could be quite a bit more of one grandparent than another too. So I think it can skip a generation. So that brings up an interesting question though. Um, ancestry, obviously they're the 800 pound gorilla. Why won't they accept postmortem DNA and you guys will? Well, so we don't do the actual thing. We don't have the big databases that some of these ones have. We could probably do it. We just can't do the relative matching and all that stuff is what we're able to. Like I said, we're the I used to do dinosaur DNA. So we have a lot of specialized techniques to clean the DNA and preserve it and concentrate it. And then we get it into their range that they need to run. So, I mean, we could basically do this with any company, but we partner with Living to be the one company that. So we've optimized the DNA for their platform, right? Because they run these big automated platforms. So that's how we're able to get the ancestry testing through them we could do it through ancestry if we optimize it for their platform whatever they're doing but that's the one that's been really reliable they don't sell your data they have lots of privacy protections that kind of stuff that's why the company we decided to partner with all right so so one of the related question and brought it up when you guys were talking about um you know my father and and you know the story about the lady 
if if the family is opting to preserve the DNA, Ryan, is it more because they want to know more about who they lost or more about what may happen to them? Both. So there's a there's a big range of people that do this for someone that's maybe the husband or wife who don't have any children or grandchildren. It's more of a preservation thing and keeping them alive. The younger people tend that have children and stuff tend to want to preserve the father's or grandparents DNA to protect their children and on down the line, right? This is one of the products that actually gains value the farther away from the person you are. So I would love to know what my great, 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 great grandfather looked like, some of his personal traits, all that kind of stuff. But like an urn full of ashes or something starts to lose its value when people lose that personal connection where the DNA will actually grow in value the further away you get in time, right? Interesting. Well, um, you, you had some thoughts about funeral yeah. homes offering it. Right. Yeah, actually, I have a few just random questions as well. Is like I did 23andMe a few years ago, my wife and I. And it was pretty painless. Like a tube came in the mail, you you spit in it, and then you send it back. Like um, for funeral homes, how do they use it when somebody is it a swap, or how does that work then? So for us, we're one of the only uh, people that can do the swaps. And what we love about the the swabs, especially in a post mortem situation, the interior tissues rapidly decay. Uh, red blood cells don't have any DNA in them, so it's all the white blood cells. So sometimes a cancer patient or AIDS patient blood sample is no good either. Um, the interior of the cell, the oral cavity, dries up after death, and you get those interior cheek cells. They don't have any pigmentation. They don't have any uh, keratinization, so they're actually an excellent source of uh -huh. DNA, and they don't degrade as fast. So we right. can actually get a nice, good DNA sample up 60 to 90 days, even post-mortem. Why does it need this? I'm not a scientist. <laughs> I'm a geek engineer. Some like, why does it need to be stored? I thought once it's swapped and then you get the sample, it does it store somewhere virtual, like on the cloud? You already got that DNA stream strings downloaded. <laughs> why does somebody need to go back and? Uh, well, because, because you don't. So when you take the sample, if you send it to 23andMe, they're not doing your whole genome. Your whole genome is 3 billion pace pairs long. They're looking at tiny little snippets. So if we're doing your genetic, uh, we look at 300 or 600,000 little pieces. That's a far cry from 3 billion, right? So right. that's a huge amount of data. And if some people have actually done it, but then what do you do with it? Like uh, it's this ever changing sea of, of like data that you have to be able to know what it's telling you, right? So that's why you need something to, what we always say is for a baby to actually get a sample done as soon as you're born, because then you would have a master copy of what your DNA is supposed to look like as you age. And once technology gets ahead, you could actually fix it, right? Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I mean, again, I'm not a scientist either. I barely understand how fingerprints work. We're <laughs> talking about these genomes. I'm out, I'm out of left field here. But but I do, I do think it's interesting because you know, the role of the funeral director obviously is changing uh, over the years, right? It used to be just, you know, uh, running the funeral and bombing and cremation now. And, and, you know, funeral homes now are, you know, the smart ones anyway, are really kind of becoming the epicenter of death in their neighborhood, right? Or in their community. What I mean by that is that they understand their longevity is going to be correlated to their ability to help that family kind of before, during, and after uh, that loved one's passing, right? They're not just a disposition company or they're not just an event company. And so the ones that are being really successful now and, and that we, we think will be successful are the ones that kind of take this thing and look at it uh, holistically, right? They kind of look at it from the whole circle of it. And it's interesting because on the backside of it, you know, we're in the business of aftercare. 
in on the backside of it. I just, I just think it's fascinating, right? That you're going to try to say, okay, well, this isn't the end, right? This may be the end of that person's life, but then you can take that DNA and you kind of move forward with it and you can do all kinds of other things with it. So it's interesting to me to see how cremation went from being cremation. You put the cremated remains in an urn, it went on a mantle, right? 10 years later, it's in a closet. 10 years later, it might be in a storage building, right? It just kind of went down this whole thing. And now you can shoot the ashes into space. You can make diamonds out of it. You can do all kinds of the other things. It'll be interesting to see down the line what happens with this DNA, right? Are they just preserving it now? Are they just testing for, you know, basic, um, you know, I don't know, um, um, risk for disease? You know, it's just interesting to kind of see what happens um, with that. But I guess my question to you then would be, when you guys are pitching the funeral home, are you pitching it from the aspect of, you know, warning the family? Like, you know, as soon as this cremation takes place, all DNA is going to be, you know, destroyed. So do it now, even if you don't want to do something with it later, you're, 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 you're preserving it. Or from the aspect of like, it's another revenue stream for the funeral home, which I'm sure it is. But how are you guys pitching at the funeral homes when you're talking to them? Well, I'll tell you that from talking to most of the funeral homes, um, everybody's interested in additional revenue sources, I think at some point in the back of their mind, but none of them are looking at it at this way. Um, they're starting to, we're reducing services, first of all, since last year in the pandemic, services are being reduced or minimized. Um, maybe there's no food or no catering, no coffee, tea after. And then you're basically left with what coffin should you purchase or what you know urn should you purchase? And you're becoming very transactional based on selling them a specific product. So I believe that the funeral industry was not designed that way. Uh, families are going there for service and we need to find more added value services so that we can begin to serve the, serve the clients rather than sell the clients. This like the lineup of DNA services is an added value service, but it isn't for just at needs. Um, it is great in aftercare, but you know, we can sit down and talk about pre-needs. On the pre-needs side, somebody is, you know, purchasing their future arrangement or planning for that. Um, the DNA sampling can be done immediately. So it's something that they can walk home with, you know, rather, rather quickly after the pre-needs arrangement and sitting down with them rather than paying for something that might be, you know, decades later down the road. And the information in their genetic predisposition reports is very valuable to them while they're still here. If it's something, you know, like they have an inherited risk for a critical disease, it might be a good time for them to go back to their insurance provider and add on a critical air uh, rider to one of their life insurance policies. Talking about leaving a legacy, people look at leaving their or organs, donations to local hospitals or universities, 45 second cheeks while we can leave a piece of DNA that can, you know, be donated to a local charity they, or hospital, they can start doing research on that. At needs, yes. You know what? There is that point and it is an educational piece. It's not used as a scare tactic, but it is true. And we have to make everyone aware. And I do believe that as an industry, we have an obligation to make clients aware that this is the last chance to preserve the DNA. And they might need, they might want to see the testing and that might be valuable for them now. Um, it might be years till later, but it will not be possible later if they don't preserve it now. So there is that sense. Um, sure, it might scare some people into it, but hey, losing things permanently scares a lot of people. It's not, you're not doing it on purpose. It's just giving them the truth and the facts so that they can make an informed decision. Um, you are talking about honoring people and, you know, how do you, how do you, keep them, people get a nice urn for the cremated ashes. There's ways where you can incorporate your DNA into a pendant so you can keep a, you know, basically a copy of a person close to your heart, um, incorporating into glass. We have partnerships with Celestis so they can shoot the DNA off into space. And then on the after needs sides, you know, they're trying to figure out who that person was and their connection to that person and a deeper connection. And we can do that on um, the ancestral level. We can look back and see who that person really was, where they were from, anything that they may have carried. And then we can begin to talk about protecting the family uh, and then seeing, you know, is there any risks for them and really 
taking and shifting that conversation from the death care to the healthcare industry. And that's really the gap that we're trying to bridge. Although let's uh, we'll be a little bit honest is that we do tell the funeral homeowners there, there is kind of a, we've got a legal opinion from uh, Mr. Scott Gilligan, a well-known death professional lawyer. And he said, there is an obligation now that this is out there and it's, it's become known and part of the death service that cremated remains, you cannot get DNA from them. And there is an obligation as a professional uh, and acting in that professional manner to let clients know that they decline, should decline to say that I understand this concept. And uh, it's not a scare tactic, but it's, it's informed consent and that they should at some way acknowledge that they're not going to be able to get this DNA back after disposition, right? So there's that part of it, right? But there is value in the funeral home when it comes to uh, revenue source. Um, you know, as you bring on any services, there's obviously a fee for the for said service. But I find that when, you know, when you're bringing on a product, people want a discount on products. People don't mind paying uh, for services as long as there's value in those services. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there is a new revenue stream that's sort of untapped for the funeral home. Um, it, you know, it can be lucrative if they're really, really pushing it. And, uh, you know, but they could also just be doing it for that, you know, for the client's needs and to give them the value as well. How do, you, how do you find the funeral homes do, you know, I mean, funeral directors will be pretty quick to tell you they don't like selling anything, right? They're in this for the ministry of it. Uh, and I think that beads of sweat start forming on their forehead when the thought of selling something comes into mind. Um, but when they're passionate about things, it's easy to sell it, obviously. And, you know, some things come to mind like the thumbies, right? The, the fingerprint thing. Those are really easy for someone to understand, right? Oh, there's a pendant. There's my mom's fingerprint on it you know, it's a keepsake. It's a real easy value proposition, whatever that price is. It's really easy to understand. How do do you find funeral homes um, do explaining the value proposition to families? I'll take that one actually. um, So what we've noticed is the younger, there's a big generation of younger female directors that have entered the profession and they seem to be more of the champions and they're the ones really at the forefront pushing it. Some of the older directors feel a little uncomfortable at first, but some of the, the, like I said, the younger female, even male, but mostly female, we find that there's this movement almost of these young professionals coming in. They're really becoming the champions for us. And and where they are in a funeral home, if we have one or two DNA champions, they seem to really like cite the other people and they do very well. If it's just sitting on a shelf, it doesn't do very well. But if you have someone that's passionate about it, like you said, has a personal connection, maybe if they had a person die of cancer or something like that, they're really impassioned about it. And then it, the sales go very well. Well, you had a thought about uh, funeral homes kind of looking at this from like a legal standpoint, right? Right. Yeah, I think it's mainly I was out in Key West uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the directors are debating about this topic. Should they offer it? Should they not offer it? And then I think, yeah, half of the room debated, hey, it's for protection. So that way, down the line, they don't get in trouble when people come back and ask, hey, how can you never offer this? Right. Yeah, well, genetic testing is on the rise. Uh, it is becoming more and more popular for various reasons, uh, whether or not people are looking at their health or the medical side of things, or if they're looking into nutritional side of things, people mm-hmm. are becoming more and more aware of genetic testing. Cremation is also on the rise. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so when you have the genetic testing going up and cremation going up, there's definitely more need to at least educating the clients that this is there and having a client, you know, not come back a month later to say, okay, you know, right. I, re- I would really like to get a DNA sample and then being told for the first time that, you know, sorry, that's not going to be possible. That, that can be heartbreaking for somebody when they've lost that chance to connect with people, um, when they've lost that chance to, you know, maybe 
to look at the patern paternal markings or any of the genetic markers there. So it is great to inform them first. Um, you know, this is part of our education piece. And this is when, when we talk to the funeral homes, that's really, you know, what we're relying on them for is mm -hmm. using it as an educational tool so that customers and clients can make an informed opinion or informed decision when they're making these choices. There's also a lot of litigation around cremated remains. So it's also pretty much 100% proof uh, that those remains are that person's, right? There's no really denying it with your DNA. Mm -hmm. We also had some re repatriation companies uh, reaching out to us for that very reason as well. That's interesting. Um, so like, what's the business model then, right? Is it, do you guys charge a fee and then, you know, the funeral home just marks it up? So we, we run two models or a hybrid model uh, with ours anyways. Uh, we do have them. The, the first option is a wholesale style. We provide all materials, displays, brochures, and all the sample kits. They sign up onto our website as sort of a wholesaler for it. They add all the things, to, all their items to the cart, and then they have a suggested retail price or at least a, a range that they're allowed to charge. We ask them not to go below that, but obviously they can go above that. That was great. There was a lot of funeral homes that you're right, shying away from the sales pitch, didn't want to add that in, didn't want to sit down. So we had to sort of look at that and, you know, the clients that go to those funeral homes still deserve having a service available for them. Um, you know, just because they go to a funeral home that may not want to have to put this as a sales pitch doesn't mean that they should lose their chance to preserve their DNA. So we did do a direct to consumer uh, version as well. We would still supply the funeral home with everything that they need in brochures, but then the consumer can make their way to the website and do all the ordering themselves. The funeral home obviously is still uh, rewarded and we still give them a little bit of commission for, for doing that and for providing them with the sample and for helping out the client. They can always do a, a service charge too for doing this, for doing the swabbing and providing that service to them. Uh, but then they're a little bit hands off. Um, not having to do that pitch, but they're still able to protect themselves and protect their clients and offer them all the same services. So I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask your revenue or the number of funeral homes you work with, but just kind of give us a sense of the size of the business. I mean, are you guys like our funeral homes being really receptive to this? So that's part one of the question. And part two would be uh, what, what percentage, uh, assuming they're asking every family, right? And assuming that they have a pretty decent presentation down, what's the percentage of families that are saying, I want to do this versus I don't you know, care about it or just not that important to me. So you can break down the numbers. I'll just tell you a little bit about the size. So this is already in over 40 countries. Uh, we're in Israel, we're in Sweden, uh, Germany, USA, Canada. We have some interest from Australia. Those are the guys. We're not the only guy in the market either. There's about 14 other companies that we can consider competitors. We consider our product the best because it's for some a lot of different reasons and without our post-mortem experience, but we're not the only people doing this. So uh, we're roughly in about 1,200 funeral locations. Uh, Yep, around 1,200 globally, uh, mostly USA, Canada, and Sweden. We are looking at a launch in UK, but there's some litigation around the Human Tissue Act there. It's the only country in the world that we've had uh, uh, some legislation around that, but we're working through that. And just for the revenue numbers. Yeah, for, for the numbers, the people that sort of follow the standard procedures and being able to, you know, utilize it as the educational tool, Really, we see our, our best numbers, one in five families or so, like 20% 20, 20 participation rate, uh, whether or not that's just uh, the preservation vial or they're going on for additional testing. Um, but yeah, one in five families going in are starting to uh, use genetics. As they become, as the 
funeral homes jump on board with the making it part of their process. And like we recommend putting it on the cremation authorization form and actually having a section there, or we have our own authorization form that they can use. It's been vetted. That really sees an uptick. You know, when, when, when you start having the client sign off saying that they're aware of this and that they're destroying it, we really start seeing an uptick of people that are wanting to provide samples or wanting to get additional testing done. But really, you're right, it, the funeral home does have to sort of buy into the services that we're providing and making it making a, a valiant effort on offering it to every client that comes in. And one more note, 95% um, of our clients are independent run funerals. Uh, those are our favorite customers. We love the two to four or five funeral home locations. They do very well. Uh, they have good markups and just easy to deal with. That's, uh, that's our core crew of customers is independent family run organizations. Yeah. And it starts to go into pockets as well, right? Like as somebody brings us on, um, they start doing really, really well with us. People in that area go into a different funeral home and then they start to ask for these services. And now, you know, we're starting to get a phone call back saying, Hey, look, I, they went to this location to provide the service. And we've had some, you know, some really good locations out there that are willing to send our sample kits over to a different funeral home so that, you know, so the clients everywhere can be able to take the service because they, if they bought into us, they also believe that everybody everywhere should have these same opportunities. Yeah, that's interesting too, because I think about that from like, will they do it or will they not do it? I mean, if they share the worldview that you think it's important to preserve this, right, then, then they're going to go right down that path. Well, I got a question for you. Welton obviously does a lot of marketing with funeral homes. Do you know of any funeral homes that are actually marketing this as a service? Or is this strictly like the family learns about it in the arrangement room only? In the arrangement room. But that's a very good question. Why aren't they comparing? Why is this not on their marketing material, not on their website as something they're different in? Ryan and Michael, do you see any funeral homes that are advertising this like on their website or promoting it like as a value added service? Because the one thing that we see and Welton and I talk about all the time, matter of fact, the premise of this entire podcast was about how to be the purple cow, right? I mean, how are you going to be different than every other funeral home out there? So do you see funeral homes that are marketing this? I find that most of the funeral homes are still in traditional marketing. They're doing, you know, the Rotary Club and that kind of stuff. So a lot of our clients aren't out there marketing it, but this plays so well in social media. I think a lot of funeral homes are yeah. reluctant to get into social media. But yeah. we get such a positive response from social media and media. Um, I'm not sure why they're not. Maybe they're a little nervous or they're still stuck in that traditional, you know, mail marketing or show up or put a table up or that kind of stuff where social media is where everyone is these days. So you have to be there, right? You know, it's interesting some years ago, and this is a funny story, but I was doing a, uh, a continuing education course for a group of funeral directors in North Carolina. And I was talking to them about how to be different. And I asked, I don't know, there's probably 40 in the room. And I said, how many of you offer tribute videos? And they all raised their hand. And I said, how many offer candles? And they all raised their hand. And I went down this whole list of different things that most funeral homes offer. And then my question to them at the end of that was, when does the family discover that you do any of these things? And the answer was in the arrangement room. Sure. And my, my thought has always been that if you have them in the arrangement room, you've already won that call, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if they get up out of the arrangement room and leave, you've done something really bad. Right. Yeah. But if you already have them there, you've won the call. So if you want to outwardly show that you're different, why wouldn't you take what you do differently? Right. And make that what you lead with. Yeah. You know, so if you're saying we do A, B and C and you're saying, well, we do X, Y and Z, which mm -hmm. is very, very different. Like, I mean, that's how you get attention. Right. You do things that are different. So to me, I think about this from when I look at the arrangement room and the four walls and 
you know, you've got the service and you've got the ministerial aspect of it. And you've got the basic merchandise with the, you know, the vault and the, and the casket and the urn. And then you've got all the other stuff that a family can spend their money on, right? Whether it's a diamond or a memorial glass or all these other little things. But I don't see anybody in your category, right? Like I see them for the, for the keepsake. And I'm saying that in air quotes, right? There's many different things they can buy, but there's really nothing in, in your category. So I would think just from kind of the being different standpoint, mm-hmm. I would think that a funeral home would zero in on that and say, yeah. Like, this is what we do. We do this different and no one, we're the only ones around that can help you preserve your DNA mm-hmm. right before it's too late. Yeah. You know what you're uh, preaching? I, I sit down with funeral homes as we uh, bring on a new, a new client and a new funeral home. That's part of my, uh, my training with them. So really all we ask from, from them is to make us available for your clients and to give me 20 to 30 minutes of their time with their funeral directors to give them some better understanding so that they can express that value to the clients when they sit with them. But part of the standard operating procedures in the funeral homes that do get that one in five families, they integrate us. And that means integrating us into their website, putting us yeah. as one of their services, integrating us into social media, mm-hmm. uh, you know, bring, bring it on. We had one just, it, it's up here in Canada, but we have a new funeral home that started in BC. Um, the, the funeral director there that purchased the home, he's usually utilized our service at his previous homes. And that's what he did. As soon as he did that, he, you know, went out and posted, we're now providing in the, in this area, DNA services for mm-hmm. all, for all of our clients. And that was just, you know, those sort of things do, you're right. They, they set you aside from everybody else. Um, and it's something that they, you know, when they come into, they've already heard about it once or twice before you're sitting down and then all of a sudden you're springing it upon them. Then, hey, look, we also do DNA services. You know what, though? I have a, there's a quote that sticks with me. I was talking to a funeral director. He had about four or five, or funeral owner. He had about four or five homes somewhere in the Midwest. And I said, you'd be on the cutting edge of the funeral industry. And he said, I have no, I have no interest in being on the cutting edge of the funeral industry. <laughs> That's what he's just us. <laughs> uh, To me, I mean, I think it's an easy win, right? I mean, I don't think, I mean, you know, newspapers are dying for business. You get a press release on this in about two seconds. You know, Mm -hmm. that shouldn't, you know, that wouldn't be that hard to do at all. You know, the places that do the press releases, they've been really great. Um, Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't, I mean, you know, I remember we used to do funeral webcasting years ago and we sent a press release to every one of our customers' newspapers saying, hey, this funeral home is now doing webcasting. And boom, you know, they had had a a piece on every day, even on, even on the news, right? The nightly news, they were doing videos on it because it was unique. Um, you know, the thing about it is, though, uh, Michael, and I think that you're, you're 100% correct, like if you can integrate this into the cremation authorization form, or some other form, and you force them to read that you force them to check that box, that would make all the difference in the world, because this is not exclusive to funeral directors, but I can imagine if a funeral home owner or a funeral director tried to sell your product, and stumbled in the delivery and maybe didn't get a good response the first three or four times they try it. Like that's it. They're out of the DNA business, right? right. Like there's not another family. They're not going to risk that, you know, they don't want that rejection again. So they're going to stop doing that after a while. But I think if you could educate them with material and you put that in their forms and all that other stuff, I'm sure that's what gives you the best opportunity. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, do you have any other thoughts? No, I just think uh, for you guys, you guys might want to have some curated social media post to give it to your clients so they can actually put their logo on there and then just pass it along via social media. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, Or even you guys provide like blog content or anything for some funeral homes about the subject. Yeah. So I, we write, I write articles for LinkedIn and stuff like that, but we can start uh, doing some marketing stuff. I just don't always, we're trying to stay away from the the hard push. I'm doing more educational why you should be offering this rather than, you know, take this and market it kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. we've been kind of just staying to the educational part, but you know, yeah. 
I, I try to work with them uh, to being to doing these social media things. It's something that we're you know we're we're still growing and expanding those ideas and trying to work with the funeral directors and the funerals themselves to figure out what would be the best route for them to go about. Uh, but it's something that you know I talk about with every single client that we bring on is you know integrating us, putting us in social media, talking about us on their website because that's a. Uh, that's really the best grounds. We know people are on social media on a regular basis. They're looking at your Facebook pages. They're looking at your Google pages. And as long as, you know, you can integrate it there, they're going to see it before they come in. And then when they come in, you're not going to hit them out of, you know, left field with something that's, you know, new and random. The thing is they're put into a different position when they're staying down at the funeral home, right? Like they've just lost a loved one. Um, they're deciding on, you know, whether or not to cremate or not. The whole idea behind DNA storage and analysis, it, it's not on the radar screen. You know, it's something that they're just not thinking about at that time. So if you can utilize it on your social media and get them to think about it prior to that time, it, it definitely warms it up when they come in to sit with you. Have you guys done any kind of keyword research or research? Are there inbound? I mean, are there inbound leads? Are people looking for this at all? Yeah. So we get calls all the time of uh, somebody else. So it's mostly that a client has walked in the door. That's where we get about 20, 25% of our business is the consumer has walked in and said, Hey, I want this service. Oh, interesting. And they jump on Google and they find us. <laughs> so no, no, I guess, I guess well, that's interesting. Really interesting. I guess my question was, is are the consumers looking for it on Google? Yeah, exactly. That's where we're getting all that. Most of our business. Yeah, but, but where do they go? Right. So if I'm searching on Google for DNA of a deceased person or something like where is Google taking me? Because if the funeral homes don't have that content on their website, well, they're not advertising for it. No. Where do they land? They're letting a TV memorial mostly or some social media or Facebook or, or some of the YouTube stuff. That's where they're kind of landing, mostly the DNA memorial page uh, or else just people have had a DNA memorial before and they've shown their relatives and that's spread out. So somebody from two years ago will say, oh, my cousin's cousin in Indiana got it. Is this available here? And so the funeral home, like we just got one in, uh, what's it called? New Hampshire, they called up from, and someone from Indiana had gotten one of their relatives. So that funeral home signed up with us now. So, um, to me, that's like a that's like a low hanging fruit right there. Okay. I mean, even if you don't, get, even if the search volume is low, if you're the only one around that has that content, mm -hmm. right? Google's going to say, well, hey, look, "This funeral home over here has got your answer. Go here." Yeah. Right? Like that seems like that seems like an easy win. Well, look, it's an interesting subject for sure. Um, what what do the detractors say? So, you know, you, we've all been talking about the good things. Now, let's say there's people out there that say it's a bad idea. Who are they and why would they say that? I'll start first. So the biggest we get is it's it's too complicated. It's too complicated. I don't want to do I don't know anything about DNA. Uh, you know, I've never heard of this. No one in 30 years has asked me for this ever uh, until someone walks in the door and asks for it. But so we've made it really easy. So you don't have to be a DNA expert. But that's the biggest pushback. You can talk about how simple we've made it. It's just basically, you know, everybody knows about, especially now, everybody knows about DNA through companies like Ancestry.com with the constant media pushing and that kind of stuff. So it's a household name now. So a lot of the heavy lifting's already been done, but I would say that's our number one pushback. And then there's a privacy concern, but that's what we've done is we made it so it's home storage, right? So we're not storing it and it's unanalyzed form. So it goes back to the family they have 100% privacy. And another detractor said, well, insurance companies are gonna get a hold of this. Uh, well, first of all, the insurance company can't use a relative, your grandfather's or your father's DNA medical stuff again. Well, you're talking about to assess risk. Yeah. And oh. premiums. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they can't they can't use that against you. So mm -hmm. you can actually find out your diseases without actually going to get a genetic test 
so the insurance company can't use that against you if you have your fathers and your grandfathers that that information is not applicable to you right because it's just a percentage kind of thing so uh there is some genetic testing and in canada it's 100 percent can't be used against you because we're based in canada we don't share information with anybody law enforcement anyone we would deny that you even have an account here we have some of the strictest laws in the world around here around privacy on the dna side but in the u.s some insurance companies have said they were going to deny someone based on their genetic predispositions so that is one thing we say too if you did concerned about that you could have your relatives and the insurance company couldn't use that against you right yeah the other detractors are just um you know, I think the industry and how it's been is there, some of the funeral homes are hundreds of years old, owned by the same families for the same hundred of years. And they're sort of, they were sort of stuck in those ways. I will tell you that this is changing. And as I'm sure you guys are well aware with the pandemic and everybody's switching, you know, 14, 15 months ago, the idea of having, you know, Zoom arrangements and being online probably wasn't there. Um, so people are being forced to change or adapt. And some are going to do it quicker and bring it on. Uh, maybe they're going to bring it on faster because they've, you know, their revenues have been down or they decreased or their profits are decreased because everybody's taking on more and more bodies or a lot of them are taking on more bodies. But as the services are being minimized, what they're able to, you know, charge for that same arrangement is also being decreased. So they're looking for new ways. Um, Ryan said it great when it's the up and comer funeral directors, a lot of those younger uh, ladies that are running the funeral homes are really being the big pushers of this. But as they go in, and that's why we started seeing it in pockets, because as somebody does it, as bad as the other ones don't necessarily want to go forward, they mm -hmm. will jump on the train because they don't want to let be left behind, right? So the, the, it is starting to go, and we're just starting to see certain areas, and just like dominoes, they're starting to topple over and seeing the value of it. Um, but there, there are those ones that are stuck in their ways. They do think it's a little um, complicated, but that's usually prior to being able to you know, sit down and discuss everything and how simple it is. Um, they just the whole idea and topic right off the hop for them is is complicated and they don't want to give it that couple minutes to actually truly understand how simple it is. I just want to say one thing about the pandemic, too. So we pre-treat all our swabs with the virus side. So even though the virus, because the oral cavity dries and it's in the mucus of the lungs and the nose, um, it's completely safe. There's no added risk to taking the sample from in our method. And shipping it is 100% safe and legal and everything else. So uh, just to address that elephant in the room. And that's, so that's strictly a mouth swab, right? You keep holding that thing up and it reminds yeah. me of those COVID tests where they <laughs> in your brain. Well, the I can tell you, I'd rather be in the funeral home. If I'm, if that's going up my nose, I'm going to be in the funeral home. <laughs> not happening with it. In there. Yeah. So it's all, it's all done by mouth. Yeah. So basically this is it. You just dip from the deceased person, mm. take six swabs. You put them into a paper envelope. Then you snap off the piece, so even the piece you touched, and you simply seal it up. You put, you send us four, and you put two into the client's uh, file. And they can sit there. So once we get the four, we give you an email saying, "Oh, they've arrived safely. You started testing, and you can dispose of the other two if you want." That's just our backup case they ever got lost in the mail. We just send these through regular mail. We've What's the shelf life of that one right there? If okay, you put so in that package. Yeah, so we like to get them. We don't see any significant degradation to about 90 days. But we tell client families that they have 30 days to decide, right? So, this so that's my, I'm sorry. So my question was going to be then is, does the funeral home have to sell right there? Can the funeral home just swab the decedent and then say, look, I, we've preserved this. 
you know, the choice is yours. You know, yeah. you can do this within so many days. Is that kind of the, the selling proposition the funeral yeah. home does? So yeah. a lot of the funeral homes are putting this into their aftercare now, right? So when they have that yeah. 30 day point, they can say, okay, you need to make a decision on this uh, DNA because it doesn't last forever. So not a high pressure sales tax, like in informed consent that it will begin to degrade. So you need to either decide um, to do something with it or you can keep it, but the risk is going to, you know, it's going to go down slowly over time. Our safety zone is 30 to 30 to 90 days. We have gotten samples from two years, three years old, no problem, but we don't guarantee it after that. Right. So there is some slight degradation, but most of the time it'll be okay. But that's, like I said, our safety window. And as to your point on the having to do it now on our authorization form that we provide that they can feel free using, like I said, it was vetted. That's actually the options. The first one is they have to check off saying that they've been provided all the information. It's importance and it's permanent loss and then it makes them make one of three choices and really there is three types of families i decline and don't want it taken um yes i want the sample taken or i want the sample taken with that holding period of 30 to 60 days so that's actually the three options that we give them and it, it's a nice thing that you know what when they're sitting down and they're making a lot of important decisions on that day you know when the arrangement's going to be what they need to do this is something although it is super important and it is going to bring them lots of value, it is a decision that they don't have to make that day. They can go home and they can sleep on it. They can look at it. Or the funeral homes, the ones that are running the hybrid that I was telling you, we had the two models. We provide them with both models if they would like, and they could send that, the ones that are on the fence for that 30 to 60 days, send them with our direct-to-consumer site and just give them the sample back themselves. They can make it to our website and place the order on their own if they would like. Yeah, that was my question was what was, what was, there are two questions on that. One was, you know, is there a cost to the funeral home to do that? And then two would be those that do take the trial period, if you will, right, or the holding period, what percentage of those convert? That's a harder question because we don't know exactly how many of those and when they come back. Some people will come back at 30, 60, 90. Some people will come back in the year. Uh, this is all residual uh, income for the funeral home too. So if they come to us back to get testing two years from, from, from the thing, we give the funeral home their, their cut still, their percentage, right? Mm -hmm. But there's also something I wanted to bring up. Uh, there's Smith's funeral home in Ontario here. Had a family come in. The gentleman died of skin cancer, I believe. And the family was there. The person that was making the decision didn't opt in right away. They said, well, just 30 days. But once they talked to the rest of the family, turned out the whole rest of the family wanted it. They ended up selling... Uh, a vial for each one of the family members and they all got the genetic testing so even though the person making the actual decision maker at the arrangement room didn't want it once they talked to the family there was about nine or ten people that did want it right so they made that decision about a month later that's interesting well listen we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap it up here we've kept you guys long enough we do appreciate your time again i think it's a fascinating topic i'm, I'm always interested in in ways the funeral homes can add more value to their families right and how we as vendors uh, we've always felt like the holy grail is if you can add value to the funeral homes without making them do any more work, right? Because they're already busy. They're already and we, they want to be able to focus on what they do best, which is serving families. So your your model kind of fits right in that. Well, did you have any final thoughts? No, it's good. Yeah, I think this is very, very fascinating subject here. Yeah. Um, so how can some folks find out about you guys? If they want some more information or they just want to ask you a question or look you up or? Well, our website is www.dnamemorial.com. Okay. They can send an uh, email to help at dnamemorial.com or michael, M-I-C-H-E-A-L dot davis, D-A-V-I-S, at globalgenetichealth.com. We, we answer those all the time. We check those emails regularly, and we'll be here to uh, help answer any of their questions. We also help answer any of their clients' concerns, too. So we don't expect the uh, funeral directors to be 
extreme experts. If they get, you know, the random question here or there that they can handle, they can direct them to our helpline or our help email, and then we'll get back and help facilitate that for them so that we can ease any of the client concerns. Awesome. And that's available 24 hours a day as well, because we have international clients, right? Ah, got it. Got it. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you guys. Um, you know, best of luck. Um, you know, obviously it sounds like you guys have got some traction going already. So continued success. Um, for our listeners, we thank you again for listening to another episode. Um, if you found value in this, we'd appreciate it if you'd go to Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen uh, and leave us a review. It helps others find out about us. There's not a lot of funeral podcasts out there, but we want to be the number one. So the reviews help us uh, surface to the top. So uh, again, thank you, Michael. Thank you, Ryan. We do appreciate your time and uh, best of luck. Thanks, everyone. See you. Thank, thank you. you.